If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you bow your heads with me? We are missing hymns, Holy One. They aren't lost, of course. We haven't gotten rid of the hymnals but we haven't been able to sing together in quite a while because we are trying to keep each other in good health. We don't want to prolong the pandemic more than we already have. We we do not need to confess to you, for you have heard our complaints, that we aren't particularly happy about it. One might describe us as grumpy, although who's brave enough to say that out loud? We are also penitent. Oh, We repent of ever singing only the first, second, and last verses. We promise to always sing them all, no matter how long it takes. Well, well, maybe not every verse from every hymn, not even a pandemic can make some of those lines work. The psalmist believed that the fields would be jubilant and the trees of the forest would sing for joy. So while we dream of lifting our voices together with full hearts, we will listen for the music we don't always pay mind to. As the summer ends, we will listen for the symphony of cicadas before they go. As the day begins and ends, we will pay attention to what notes hang in the air. As autumn comes, we will be still enough to hear the lilt of falling leaves. Maybe we'll whistle along. We pray in the name of Jesus, who believed even the stones would cry out in praise. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down 
called the twelve and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Again this week, we start out with what seems like strange behavior from Jesus. Last week, the passage from John sounded like a game of hide-and-seek between the crowd and Jesus. And this week, the opening verse tells us that Jesus and his disciples went on through Galilee, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know. Honestly, I think this is riskier than asking a congregation to transition from paper to a digital bulletin. (laughs) Jesus is just asking for trouble, because you know who will be really mad if they find out the disciples were in Galilee and didn't drop by the house? The grandmas. Don't rile the nanas and the mimis, even if the grandkids are grown men. If you are going to go through town and not come over for dinner, there had better be a good reason. And as it turns out, it was for good reason. Just before this story, Jesus and the disciples had been surrounded by a great crowd and some scribes who wanted to fight. And just before that story, another huge crowd. The schedule was relentless. So Jesus pushes the pause button. He pulls the disciples aside for a moment just among themselves almost like Sunday school or a small group study, and offers a teaching meant to help them understand the journey. The lesson, though, was hard, at least it was for the disciples. They did not understand. Here was their leader, the one for whom they had left everything to follow, and he's telling them that he will suffer and die. And yes, there's a mention of the resurrection, but who really knows exactly what Jesus means by that and whether or not it will even work? Not to mention the small, unpleasant detail that death is required before resurrection. But you already know that this isn't exactly what's going on here. We know to expect the disciples do not understand. You'll remember that throughout the Gospel of Mark, the disciples play the role of knuckleheads, as our beloved Yale Skurlock would say. They just don't get it, ever. And the pattern repeats itself early and often. The text we read today is actually the second of three times in the span of three chapters in which Jesus gives this prediction about suffering and death and resurrection that the disciples don't understand. Knowing and not knowing, understanding and not understanding are woven through the heart of Mark's gospel So, of course, we know that the disciples do not understand what Jesus is saying. This entire section of Mark's gospel, which starts in chapter 8 and ends in chapter 10, is framed at the beginning and the end by accounts of blind people who are given sight, just to make sure we really know this is about seeing and not seeing, understanding and not understanding. Mark's never been accused of being subtle. 
beyond their general role of knuckleheads, for the disciples, the prospect of the Messiah being taken and killed just does not compute. When God comes in glory, it is surely to conquer enemies, not to be handed over into the hands of men and they will kill him. They were looking for a warrior king working on behalf of an almighty God who would take control, not suffer and die. They were looking for someone to overthrow the Roman Empire, lead an insurrection, reverse the roles of oppressed and oppressor. If only they were in charge, things would be okay. So it is not surprising then that we hear them arguing over who will be the greatest. The disciples were still subscribing to systems of hierarchy, domination, and submission, despite Jesus' mission and ministry. They do not deconstruct the values that kept most of the population as peasants, including themselves. Instead, theologian Raquel lets some notes, they argue about who might best participate in the system and rise above the rest. Their conversation is the antithesis of what Jesus has been trying to teach them. Yet the subject of their conversation is not surprising, given that oppressed people often aspire to societal rewards from which they have been excluded. But swapping one oppressor for another is, well, just swapping one oppressor for another. It's like arguing that matriarchy is better than patriarchy. And, and believe me, I am all for letting women run the church and everything else for the next 2,000 years just to even things out. But still, matriarchy just swaps which gender is privileged. We can do better. That they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask could have also been connected to not wanting to believe what Jesus said was true, and not simply because they wanted a warrior king instead. No, on a more human level, no one wants their friend to suffer. No one wants their friend to be betrayed. No one wants their friend to be crucified. The disciples knew all about the kind of death Jesus was headed towards. Thousands upon thousands of people were crucified in antiquity, and it was considered to be one of the most brutal and shameful ways a person could be put to death, reserved for the enslaved, foreigners, and political enemies. It was a public service announcement to everyone to stay in their lane. So yes, the disciples were afraid. But instead of getting clarification, they pick a fight with each other. Instead of digging deeper, they turn to arguing with each other, squabbling among themselves over petty issues of rank and status. Instead of asking hard questions, they posture about who is number one. And this could be a case of avoidance. It's natural to want to avoid thinking about or feeling emotions related to a traumatic event. It is a coping mechanism humans have used since the beginning, talking about anything else may have seemed better than talking the way Jesus was talking. And, well, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Church people today have a tendency to do this too. Instead of uncomfortable or hard conversations, instead of sharing our pain and our grief with each other, we'll fight over who is sitting in our pew or which translation of the Lord's Prayer to use, or whether or not coffee should be allowed in the sanctuary. 
While the disciples were afraid to ask their questions, Jesus was not. Apparently, he had overheard a few words and phrases of the disciples' conversation on the way to Capernaum. What were you arguing about on the way? They are busted. And Jesus knows it's time for another Sunday school lesson. And he may have been a little bit irritated, but it's not obvious. He had, though, already given a disciple a lesson on greatness and rank in the chapter just before this one. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? The passage today echoes that one. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then Jesus models this, shows them what things should look like. He took a little child and put it among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. In a culture where children were considered of lesser value, another mouth to feed, the most vulnerable and likely to catch a disease, an investment of already scarce resources, Jesus puts children front and center. Children are a protected class in Jesus' economy. And this is the gospel, the countercultural work of God, moving us away from competition over status and towards a commitment to centering those the world treats as less. And that is, of course, a lesson we still need to learn. Well, we might also wonder what would have happened if the disciples hadn't been afraid to ask their questions. What if they hadn't been worried about being the least informed or not as well-read or not the most articulate? Would they have asked if Jesus' prediction that he would suffer and die mean that he was seeking out suffering? And is that what we're supposed to be doing, seeking out suffering? Or is he saying that they are supposed to be prepared for the backlash of doing life-giving work in a world hell-bent on dealing death? What if they had admitted to Jesus that they were scared? What if they had confessed that they didn't feel brave enough to threaten the empire or to be threatened by the empire? What might have been different if the disciples had asked their questions? What kind of conversation might have ensued between Jesus and the disciples? What kind of relationship would it have engendered with each other? And I wonder, too, how our stories would be different if we asked our questions. Like the disciples, we so often swallow our toughest questions, pretend we don't have any. Yet life is full of deep mysteries. What kind of conversations might we pursue? How would our lives as disciples together be different if we weren't worried about our reputations? What if we confessed that we are worried that we aren't up to the task, that the world seems too big, the problem's insurmountable, and most of us can't even manage to eat a salad a week, much less tackle climate change? 
What might we imagine, dream, and create if we wondered together about a new way of doing things? We'll only know if we bring our questions with us to church instead of leaving them in the parking lot or at the top of the closet or back there among all the theology we were raised on but discarded a while ago. If you're looking for a place to start asking those questions, fill out the sermon series survey we sent out in last week's email update, and we'll start working through those questions during worship on Sunday mornings. What moral, ethical, or theological questions or challenges are you wondering about? What scripture is most troubling to you or most inspiring? Even better is the conversation that can happen outside of this space where there is more room to share our heartbreaks and joys. This kind of conversation happens on Sundays in the classrooms all over this building. They happen on Mondays in the men's group and on Wednesdays in webs. But it does require participation. It, it requires trust that we aren't the only ones with questions. It requires us to trust that this is indeed a place where head and heart are equal partners in faith. What if we actually did that? Maybe we could stop giving the knee-jerk answer, fine, thank you, when someone asks us how we're doing. And that sounds pretty radical. Well, let's see, shall we? You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.